You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, and welcome back to the Oz Network for our special Halloween random rewatch coverage here on the Oz Network, covering Halloween things. I think I said that as redundantly as I could have ever said it, but it is true. We're so excited to talk about our finale of the Halloween coverage here, as Halloween is just around the corner, and all the spooks in this the witches are coming out. It's time to get spooked as we talk about... Witches. <laughs> specifically Blair witches, yeah. could you believe? <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about the Blair Witch Project, which we teased last week. And its 20th or 21st anniversary is happening this year, and it's very exciting. And we're here to talk about it because we love it so much. And yeah, that's it. Uh, my name is Rossi, and turn off the camera. Turn off the camera. And my name is Colin, and Mommy's just telling a scary story, but it's not true. It is true. Interesting uh, line choice, but... um. Oh, sorry, Daddy, that was awkward. I... Whoa. What? I said Mommy, I meant Daddy. Boy, boy, okay, you're I'm confused here. <laughs> I, I am yes. not a mother. I'm a father. <laughs> I quoted the line from the movie. It would have been more appropriate if I said, Daddy. Uh, you, oh, you're tricking me. Oh. <laughs> what kind Gosh, of joke yeah. was that? Witchcraft? What? Oh. Did you, Did you watch this movie? <laughs> These are all quotes from the movie. <laughs> Okay, all the quotes are kind of blending together because, like, they say some of the same things again and again. Mm -hmm. Very true. If you said I'm lost or we're lost, I would have known that (laughs) that line pretty well. (laughs) So last week we obviously teased that we were talking about the Blair Witch Project and there were a few exciting things about it. Like, I said that it was its, like, 20th anniversary, which, was that right? 20th? It it? is 20, yeah. Do the math right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 20. Uh, so that's super exciting. And then also it had um, a video game come out very recently, which I think I teased a little bit to you before, maybe on or off air. I don't know if I mentioned that, but that really it, this game really pays homage to the original film. And obviously there was a sequel that came out a few years ago in 2016 that uh, was a movie. Yeah. I, I haven't <laughs> seen it, so I can't really comment on it specifically, but I, I, I mean... It probably definitely didn't do as well as this one, but uh, The Blair Witch obviously is one of the more um, influential films we've covered in mm-hmm. kind of our random rewatches, I would say. At least the ones that I've done with you. Would you agree on that? Or Yeah, I think that's the most interesting to, to cover here. I mean, we're, we're probably going to do you know a movie recap in record time just because, I mean, it's it's a very simple movie. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes. It's, you know, kids go out in the woods they get lost. They're making a documentary. One of them won't shut off the camera. Uh, one of them's to blame for losing the map. And the only one who didn't do anything wrong uh, kind of gets his teeth pulled out and dies. Uh, and that's the Blair Witch Project. But it, it is the influence. And I think that's the most interesting thing to me is, it, you know, we're 20 years removed from this movie. And this really started what has become the main genre uh, of like the last 10 years, which is like found footage horror movies which is a genre that just sort of slowly evolved. And, you know, it it sort of existed in little TV projects prior to this, um, but nothing like as big scale, at least with the success. I mean, the movie itself was essentially, you know, a a larger budget uh, post-university student film for two student filmmakers. 
And it became this phenomenon that for years was the most profitable film ever made. And it really didn't even catch on, like, the whole found footage genre till years later. So, so many people have sort of forgotten, like, how revolutionary this was at the time it came out in 99. Yeah, and considering that, you know, the movie's budget was only Mm -hmm. $60,000, even even though it was made, you know, 20 years ago, that's still not a lot at all. (laughs) You know, considering, you know, blockbusters are made with millions and billions of dollars i mean low budget movies are made with a couple million dollars i mean the the new blair witch reboot was made with a couple million dollars yeah and i i bet it didn't net as nearly as much as (laughs) uh the two almost 250 million that this netted Mm -hmm. uh but obviously this found footage like you said was not knew the blair witch didn't invent you know found footage i think that concept had existed toward the beginning of film, but I think that this was obviously the first project that revolutionized it and really used it in the full length to a great extent to, like, success. Mm-hmm. Another, like, kind of interesting thing, I don't know how familiar you are with the movie itself, but when it first came out, um, obviously everyone talked about, oh, this is, like, a real situation, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of the productions and the original screenings of the movie made it that way, where when you came in to the movie, you would get these uh, missing person posters yeah. of the three main characters and they like really like set to immerse you in this kind of real universe that these people were actually missing and then also that the actors wouldn't were kind of in hiding for a little while while the movie was kind of just coming out because they didn't want to be seen in public as you know oh that you're left from that movie are you're safe are you okay like Obviously, want to keep a little bit of suspense, and I think that was even crazier as a, a concept to take the movie and bring it into the real world. Like, you know, this is a real story, and like, here, the, here, we're looking for these kids. Like, please help us find them. Just a whole bunch of this crazy, unique styles of filmmaking that really were. It's just incredible to watch it see come together, even though it kind of looks weird. But it, it just, it's just a great movie. And I'm old enough that I can remember when this came out and I can remember the build for this because I think those like missing person posters and everything, uh, when this premiered, started premiering film festivals like in late 98, early 99, they were intentionally presenting it like this is, you know, found footage of some disappearance. And they let that sort of build. And then once, you know, a major studio got on board and said, you know, we'll release this movie nationwide and more and more interest started to build they didn't really go out of their way before the wide release to, you know, try to trick people, but they didn't come right out and say, Hey, just so everybody knows, this is a fictional movie. These, these are actors. They're still alive. Uh, they just sort of let people find that on their own. Cause I can remember, uh, the first I heard about this, I remember seeing a poster for it. And then I had a friend who also happened to be named Blair, which is why he had an interest in this movie. And, um, he, uh, he had heard about this and 100% believed it was real. And I'm like, really? Like, that that seems odd that they would, like, you know, release a movie like that. And only as, you know, I started to see more and more, you know, people saying, oh, it's actually a fictional movie, but it is really original. That, like, when this came out, you probably had a large chunk of the population that still believed this was a real story. Um, and, and so much of this is, you know, give credit to, like, the directors of this, uh, Myrick and Sanchez, you know, they just sort of came up with this idea. They they financed it very low budget, like you know, fifty, sixty thousand uh, dollars. 
they hired a bunch of actors, and <laughs> the most interesting thing is just the behind-the-scenes stuff of this movie, that in casting the actors, they cast them for specific reasons. Like the guy who, well, the guy who plays Josh, Josh, <laughs> Joshua Leonard, uh, he auditioned as an actor, but simply got the role because he said, yes, I've operated a camera before. And they're like, great, we need somebody to operate the camera. Because this wasn't like a film crew out there filming this. They sent these three actors out into the woods. They gave them checklists every single day. They'd sort of leave notes for them and say, okay, on this day, I want you to film something like this, do something like this. And when there is noises out in the woods in the middle of the night, that was the directors out there making the noises, setting things up like, you know, the bundles of sticks and the piles of rocks and then delivering new notes to them. And and even the scene where they find like the, the bloody tooth of Josh, you know, wrapped up outside their tent the actors didn't know what it was. They're just like, okay, you're going to have to go here and you're going to find something. Just film it. So we really have a movie that that plays almost more like a student film experiment than anything else, which is why I think it's unfortunate when people do criticize and saying, oh, it's an average movie. It's not that scary. I mean, I, I view this like I would view a student film. Like if if you were to know of somebody who's in school who made an hour and 20 minute long movie and found footage had never been a thing before, you'd be like, this is absolutely brilliant. I think that's the brilliance of this movie is just how it came together, you know, without having had any history of found footage or things like that. Somebody does this now, it's not nearly as impressive. Yeah, I think that it's, you know, the way that they did it too, like you were saying, was such a big part of it. I think, you know, the part, the, what's the word? Um, The uniqueness and the special qualities that this movie has is not just its result it's not the outcome it's all the steps in between Mm -hmm. you know it's it's the speculation of oh where's where's heather is she still alive is she dead like what's going on with her and the other kids and the fact that it didn't film like or record like a traditional studio where you know someone's going to come cut 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 that was really bad let's redo it Mm -hmm. let's do it this way where it was just kind of like the actors really had the control of how the scenes went obviously you know not really, because the directors were always there and stuff like that, but they didn't interact in that traditional yeah, way. Like they never saw the directors for the, you know, five to seven days they filmed this thing. They just sort of got directions, you know, through notes passed here and there. And obviously there was a, probably a lot of things that were scripted and, and, mm-hmm. and they had to say certain lines. Obviously, you know, it wasn't completely an improv project, but the, the improvisa- improvisation of not knowing exactly what was going to be in the bag or what, what, what they were going to see in the house or how they were going to decorate the set or kinds of these different things that really made it just interesting to watch. And then on top of that, the, the visual of the filmmaking, obviously you have the one black and white camera versus the one color camera mm-hmm. and the, the shakiness of it, or the, the steadiness of it when they were recording certain scenes and stuff like that. So it's just all the different things coming together that just makes it a really interesting movie and it's really quick to watch like you can get it done really quickly mm-hmm. like I, I started watching this and i was like oh wow it's already over mm-hmm. yeah like, it just like breeze past I, I think it helps that it's not really complicated mm-hmm. in any way like i don't think i mean obviously you're confused about what's going on but you're not like confused about what the story is so it's pretty easy to get through i was now, uh, glad that i could finish it in full time had you you had seen this movie before right yeah, but I didn't remember hardly as much as I did. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a first watch again, almost, for me. Sort of for me, too, because, I mean, I did see this movie when it came out. And I, I mentioned last week that this was, you know, uh, there are a handful of movies that my mom was obsessed with and would watch every single day, like The Perfect Storm and Black Hawk Down and this. And um, 
I what a collection. Yeah. <laughs> but but as I said last week, you know, she was watching Perfect Storm because she was in love with George Clooney. She was watching Black Hawk Down because she was in love with Eric Bana. She watched this movie because she loved it. So this was like the purest entertainment for her. Uh, but like she lived and breathed this movie so much to the point where um, they had released as kind of a promotional thing on TV to, to even though they, they weren't going out of their way to convince people it was a real story. They're like, hey, if people want to believe that, let's just continue to fuel that a little bit. So there was like a, a fake documentary made called The Curse of the Blair Witch, which was really only touching a little bit on the missing three student filmmakers that this movie's about. It was more about all this backstory. And I had sort of forgotten all about that because I don't think I've watched this movie since, you know, I was you know a teenager and still living with my mom. Um, but all of these l- things they're mentioning, like in the opening sections of the movie, when, you know, it's just, you know, them sort of filming a documentary, talking to locals and the locals telling stories about, you know, these, uh, people who went missing and, and the standing in the corner and a-, a lot of these other names that get dropped. I'm like, oh, I remember all that from all these, you know, extra documentaries my mom would watch, you know, not documentaries on the making of the movie but fake documentaries to support this is a real story uh so there's like a whole mythology here that i actually think is really interesting uh that they've they've sort of missed out on really telling that story because i mean i'm sure we'll get into the movie a little bit here too as well but um this is almost like a massive franchise that just never happened for some reason you you have this low budget movie that made 250 million dollars a year later, they come up with a terrible sequel, the the Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two, which is not found footage. It's a complete waste of time. Uh, and the the filmmakers had really wanted to do a prequel that would have been the telling of the origin of the Blair Witch. It would have taken place in the seventeen or eighteen hundreds, and that's a movie that never got made. And ultimately, we got this you know sort of reboot sequel, Blair Witch, a couple of years ago which was more or less just a 2016 update of the original movie. A bunch of people go out into the woods, they get lost, it's all found footage, and we sort of missed out on it. I mean, have you played the game that came out? Does it does it deal with any of the real history and mythology of this? Uh, not really. It's kind of like the idea of the Blair Witch itself. Like people, um, So essentially the game is this, you're playing this um, detective who or a cop, I'm not sure specifically, who's looking for a kid that went missing in the Blair Witch, in the forest of the Blair Witch environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're trying to find him. And then there's these kind of creatures that come out, and and it's a lot about whether or not the character who has a troubled past and all this kind of stuff gives in to the temptations left by the Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. There's moments where the character, you can, uh, you know, willingly break the the figurines that you find on the way or knock over the piles of rocks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of newness, it's not necessarily new, but it's interesting. I've seen people play it and it looks, it looks like it's well done. I, I just don't think it's novel, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be fun to have that one these days. But like one of the things that I, I like about this movie and the things that I didn't pick up on when I was younger is there, there is a lot of subtleties with, the characters, like the three characters here and their performances, which is even more shocking when you consider that they were given loose notes. Uh, the the scenes, the staging of the scenes were directed, but, you know, the actors are improvising everything. They're playing essentially versions of themselves because you know, they're using their real names and everything. But you see the way they're presented where it's like, okay, Heather and Josh, they know each other. Mike is just this guy who's brought in. 
And then particularly the way that Heather's character, because, like, I remember her character, like, she took a lot of heat when this movie came out. A lot of people were always very critical. It's like, oh, she's such a stupid character. You know, she's so annoying. And I'm like, well, I don't really get that. Now I watch this movie. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, she's a complete idiot. This is all her fault in every way. And this progression of, like, when they first get lost, where she's just constantly come up with these excuses saying, no, 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 I know exactly where we are. I got lost for a second, but now now I'm here. And you see the other two guys who are almost making a joke out of it, saying, oh, sure, you know where we are, ha, 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 ha. And then the next time they have a conversation, it's just Mike who's like, you know what, like, like why don't you just admit that you're lost? And he's like, you know, just stop lying already. You know, you're clearly not as you know, uh, good of a navigator as you thought you were, and she's still holding to her story. And then you get to the point where they're just all exploding, like, like, why did you do this to us? And then he throws away the map. Like, it's just, there's this really interesting progression of characters. And then, particularly the fact that the two who don't know each other, who are so combative in the beginning, Mike and Heather, have to be the ones who stay together once Josh goes missing. And then you just see it totally change, where now it's just like survival. Like, you know, I'm not going to blame you for getting us lost. I'm not going to blame you for throwing away the map and being a nutcase. You know, we're not even necessarily going to find him. We just don't know what to do right now. And they suddenly start relying on each other. Like, it's it's very subtle, but it's actually played quite well. And there are these moments throughout the film that are, I found really interesting. You're talking about Heather being obviously very annoying or, you know, a bad horror character, like not doing the smart thing or whatever. But there are the moments that I, I, I see things change. Like I, when Josh is holding the camera to her mm-hmm. face and then... Uh, she says something that was like, oh yeah, why don't we just get rid of the camera, Josh says, and she says, it's all I have now. Yeah. And like, there's that moment where she like connects, where she's just like, this is literally all I have left, we're probably going to be dead, but there's at least this film to save, and obviously that's kind of what the movie is. Like, oh, they found this camera in the woods, like, uh, but just those moments, and I, um, as you were talking, I was reminding of all the things that I forgot from the original watch. Like I completely forgot Mike didn't know them. Mm-hmm. I thought they were all three vet close friends that just uh, hung out and wanted to do this project together. But no, they just hired Mike. And, and um, really, they don't even establish whether Josh and Heather know each other that well. Like you kind of get the impression, oh, maybe they they're in film school together. But like Josh says over and over again, this is your project, and you sort of get that obsession with her too. Like you said with the camera, I mean, that becomes a big thing of Heather, turn off the camera. Like these guys are saying, we're really lost. And and you do see it, like anybody in their right mind would see it from their point of view. They're like, shut off the camera. And nowadays when you have these found footage horror movies or, or any type of found footage movie like Chronicle or Cloverfield, you actually, you really struggle to buy why they're running the camera all the time. And sometimes it just, it doesn't feel natural. Like in the new Blair Witch it, it just sort of felt like, you know, at some point somebody would shut off the camera uh, or you wouldn't be running the camera in this situation. And this movie finds a way to explain it with her character. When Like that scene where you said, she says, this is all I have. And you get that this was her obsession from the beginning. And these guys are just sort of along for the ride. Hey, do you want to do this with me? Sure, why not? And then when everything goes wrong, it's like, listen, you're the only one who's gaining anything out of this. We're just sort of doing you a favor. Um, another good example of like the use of the camera needing to be on is when they run from the tent that one time, which the, 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 one of the greatest moments of the movie where she's just screaming, what is that? Like, like you can't see what she's seeing, which by the way, behind the scenes moment, they were meant to pan the camera there. And there was a guy who was sort of dressed up in like the, uh, like white pantyhose over his face and stuff like that. And they wanted to sort of create this ghostly image 
which is what she was responding to, but she never panned the camera. And they just said, forget it. Let's just leave it in the movie. It's actually kind of scarier never seeing anything. Um, but they're running and the camera is their light. They're lost in the middle of the woods. They're like, how else are we going to see where we're going? Got to turn on the camera. You know, it, it's clever enough that you don't question why are they running this camera the whole time. And there are moments where they're not just specifically, you know, there are times where she puts it down or they're transitioning cameras or there's like reasons that they mm-hmm. wouldn't, they, they have it running, but they're not, you know, using it. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of like true found footage, like there's times where she puts the camera down and they're t- like talking over something like, like later toward the film, like uh, she's holding the camera, she puts it down and then goes to comfort Mike, who's like crying on the ground. Mm-hmm. But they still leave her running. But she's not like, "Hey, what? What are you doing? What do you think?" Like, yeah, it's just those, it feels natural. Sometimes they, yeah, it feels like natural. Like you're saying, instead of like, "Why is this man carrying like twenty cameras to through the zombie apocalypse or something like mm-hmm. that?" Like it, it feels a lot more natural. And I think that it probably helps that the characters are really grounded in like what they're doing. They don't seem like they're above anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like they're not out of the realm of reality. And. You know, don't get me wrong. When I say like I, I actually see people's point of view about Heather being like this, this really annoying character. In the sense that I actually appreciate her character for being annoying, because I think too often, uh, you know, everybody wants like a character who's completely flawless, but it's more interesting if they're not flawless. And and in her case, she's a complete mess. Like she does get them lost. Like you actually get the impression throughout this movie that she sort of went into this joking too because there's the the scene where um, they find like a, a, and they're already filming, you know, the, the graveyard or whatever in the middle of the woods and she's filming a mouse on the ground and she's like, what killed this mouse? Witchcraft? Like, it's all a game to her. Like, she went into this, got in completely over her head and she's just one of these people who just can't admit, I made a mistake. She just holds to these terrible stories like when they're lost for several days and uh, th- th- there's this great moment where I think Mike is saying, you know, I have to be at work at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. So how how are we, you know, going to get out of this? And she's saying, uh, you know, oh, I'm not lost. It's like, yeah, but but we're going. In- this isn't the way we came. She goes, well, we, we took the most direct location to get to the two locations we filmed at. And now we're taking the most direct location back. Like, it's such a lame excuse. But, like, it- it's believable that that's how somebody would respond in the situation. And then the thing with the camera, like, equally as good as the the moment where they finally turn the camera on her and says, hey, hey, do you like this? You know, why don't you be a movie star now? Why don't you say something? And she's like, you know, uh, leave me alone, is when Josh has completely lost it because when they return to their campsite and his stuff is the stuff that's all over the place and has got this, you know, goo or whatever all over it. And he now feels like he's the one targeted and he goes off and he's crying and Mike, for the first time, is not yelling at Heather and saying, like, you know, why don't you stop being an idiot? He's, he's reasoning with her, saying, listen, the guy's over there losing his mind. Give him a few minutes. Give him a few minutes without a camera in his face. Don't film the man while he's off there crying. And you actually start feeling more for his character. You start sympathizing more for Mike's character. And then the fact that Heather doesn't go after him, you sympathize more for her character. There's a lot of, like, opinion flipping on this movie. I feel like there's times where you're like, oh, my God, you're an idiot. Just do this. Mm-hmm. And then times you're like, oh, I kind of see why you would, like, do that. Like, or why would you say that? Or, like, why you would see it. Or, they, like, they they kind of revert on some of their ideas. Like, you know, Mike got rid of the map. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously he's like, 
at, at that he was furious. He was so mad, and you're like, "That's so dumb." But then later, he's like, "I can't believe I did that. Like, we're lost. Like, what do we do now?" Like, and you like kind of feel bad. Like, you're like, "Yeah, you got rid of the map," but like uh, by the end of the movie, you're just like, "That doesn't matter anymore." Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing I found interesting watching it this time is that I always sort of perceive this as the second they enter those woods, they were done for. Like, like supernatural forces are causing them to be stuck there, and there's no way out. But then I watch it this time, like. Well, I wonder, like, if they hadn't lost the map, like, you know, did they just simply reach a section of the woods, or are they actually lost, and just the longer they're in there, this witch just has more time to torment them? Could they walk away? Like, they don't clearly make it. There's some supernatural occurrence going on there. They make it such a huge part of the movie that it's your fault that we're in the situation that it is completely plausible. You know, obviously, the movie does, you know, kind of clearly put that stamp on it there is a real witch that is doing this but not necessarily that's why they're stuck in the woods uh and just the the fact of him you know throwing the map away too like when when that happens i'm like oh come on like what an idiot like why would you throw the map and then i think to myself i'm sure that i've done this the same way as when she's you know clearly in over her head and they're calling her on it saying like you got us lost she's like, no 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 i didn't i know exactly where we're going i'm sure i've done the same thing before and when he throws away the map, like, they freak out on him. And the same defense is, like, I'm sure I've been in situations where I felt like, you know, it's not even worth it. Like, I'm trying to fix something. Oh, it's not even worth it. Let me just throw this in the garbage. You know, like, everybody sort of has those moments. And it's it's so impressive that these these actors who are, have no experience and, for the most part, haven't really gone into exception of Josh, have not gone on to do anything after this, that they, they were able to bring enough subtlety to the performances and actually build a character all on their own. Touching on the supernatural, not supernatural, spirit, or what is it, uh, witch-based mm-hmm. stuff, I don't even know what you'd call it. Witchery? But, yeah, the witchcraft <laughs> that uh, Heather was talking about in the movie. Um, I always credit the sort of spookiness going on affecting them instead of like there's mm-hmm. this presence in the woods and like you can't get out, you come in kind of deal. Like I always credit as like he throws a map away because the the forest is messing with him. Like she's lost because like a forest is messing with her like and and that is why things go the way they do i don't necessarily credit like i i mean she probably doesn't perfectly know i think seemed like josh was the more map based like navigator kind of person so i credit obviously like some of it is you know her personal challenges but i think that a lot of it has to come down with the situations that they kind of deal with and obviously we hear a lot of that later in the movie we don't get to see anything uh which I thought was interesting how there was so much, there were so many moments where like the screen's just blank. Mm-hmm. Like you're hearing sounds, but you don't see anything. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, I'm not really watching a movie right now, am I? Mm-hmm. But it was just so interesting that that was, that completely for, forgot that that was even a thing. Like I just remember some of the scenes and the map and all this, like the personal arguments, but I don't remember that there was nothingness for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Another thing that I found interesting when this movie came out is because found footage had never been presented, like the few found footage things that had been made prior to that were things that were shown on TV or direct-to-video, and this was one that was released theatrically, the first ever. There were signs, you know, in theaters that said, I can remember being in a theater, and it says, you know, the Blair Witch Project in cinema, whatever, we're giving the warning that it could cause motion sickness or whatever, and blah, 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 blah. So be warned, there are no refunds offered once the movie starts. Um, so there's obviously the shaky cam aspect of that, but then you add to that the fact that there are so many scenes that are 
in the dark and you're just hearing what happens off screen. Um, and, and that's, I think, another thing. Like, when this movie came out, people said, oh, this is, like, the scariest movie since The Exorcist. I think that was the most common thing they said. Now you watch this, and I feel like it's been diluted just because there are so many other found footage movies. Like, I find it hard to believe that if Paranormal Activity had never come out, people would be as critical on this movie now as they are. Uh, because genuinely, when this came out, like people had had not seen a horror movie in so long that didn't show you what was happening. Like not just that one shot I mentioned, where they're screaming, "What is that?" and you don't see what it is, but just the noises in the background. And sometimes when they're running around in the dark, and the cameras, you're just seeing a glimpse of light every now and then. You're watching a two minute long scene, only hearing them screaming. And that's kind of what presents more of the terror in this movie. Like, I'm not the type of person who ever really gets scared in a movie. I, I don't know if I could even fill up one hand at the amount of movies that genuinely scared me. But this movie presents, you know, a real creepiness about it and a little bit of terror about it that's just fascinating to watch because you don't see anything. So that when you get to the house at the end of the movie and all you really see is just the guy standing facing the corner... Like, you're literally going, like, whoa, what is going on here? And it's the most you've seen in the entire movie, but it's 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 such a frightening image. You couldn't end a movie on a guy standing in a corner and have it be creepy if you had shown this and this and this prior to that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's crazy how much it picks up at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, some One of the other things that I forgot or didn't remember fully about the movie is I thought that Josh disappears earlier like i thought it was right by the end that he's gone yeah like maybe last 15 I always, minutes yeah like less than half an hour before the end and he's gone i thought it was like in the middle of the movie and I, I thought it was heather and mike for a lot of it but it wasn't and so like when we and it like as soon as he's going missing it's like it ramps up because mm-hmm. then they find the teeth and then they then they're lost and then there's that um infamous infamous iconic moment when she's doing her monologue to the camera yeah, the nostril shot <laughs> yeah uh, which we'll get to i'm not going to talk about it just yet but and then then they find the house and then that whole kind of pandemonium of uh which i really appreciate about is the cutting back and forth between mike and heather's cameras oh, yeah. they each have one mm-hmm. and like you see his perspective and you hear her yelling where are you where are you and then vice versa she's like he's like hurry up hurry up and then he runs downstairs and She's screaming after him, but then you see his camera drop, and then she eventually gets down there and sees him in the corner, and it just ends. And you're just like, "That's the end." Mm-hmm. It's just crazy that that is just it's a wild ride at the the last half hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, we should probably talk about the infamous uh, legendary monologue. Yeah, the nostril scene. <laughs> Did you have a strong memories, fond memories of it? Yeah, I mean, I think. People know that even if they've never seen the movie. Um, I mean, it's a movie poster. So. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, a- any trailers that were released prior to this, you know, that that one scene was in there. Um, but it actually plays really well because if you're just looking at this from the point of view of the, 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 the character, it's the only moment where her guard's down because it's the only time where the camera's on. She's turning the camera on herself the first time. So as we've talked so much about, like, she's shoving the camera in the other guy's faces when they're like, just shut it off. Like, we're freaking out here. We don't know what's going on, you know. And then when the camera gets turned on her, she's very defensive. So this is the one moment where nobody else is listening and she's actually giving her confessional, which is a really nice scene. I'm not building this up to be like, oh, this is like, you know, art. This is like, you know, the godfather of found footage horror movies. But it's just, it's it's a nice moment that, that the character 
makes these apologies and admits that it's her fault when nobody's listening. But then you just add to the fact that she's whispering and you see her tears coming down, you know, hanging off of her nose, uh, <laughs> which looks like snot again. We're two weeks in a row of uh, supernatural snot on uh, Halloween recaps. Um, but the, the way it sort of just all leads to like these noises and everything, like I just, I, the one thing I always wondered about that is they captured this iconic image that the movie's so associated with, but could she see herself? Because I don't think she could. Like, you you have cameras where there's a viewfinder and you can flip it around, like, you know, and you can see yourself. But I, I doubt the cameras they were using had that. What if she had filmed that scene? Like, this is where it gets really crazy, but the director's not even being present. What if she had filmed that, that really important scene and you can see the camera is showing maybe three quarters of her face most of the time? If she wasn't trained in operating a camera, Josh, the actor, Joshua Leonard was... Um, what if she had just totally botched this thing and it was filming like the roof of the tent the whole time? Like, would there have been any reshoots if it hadn't happened? I do think that, I don't know if there would have been reshoots. I can't really make that judgment call, but I do think that she really couldn't see because there was sometimes where it like pans up a little bit. Yeah. You could only see her eyes or just cutting her eyes off. And then there were times where you could see lower than just her note it was just it moved so much that i i believe that she probably couldn't see herself Mm -hmm. which makes it more interesting like it makes it more real like unbelievable as a character like because she's freaking out as the character she's freaking out she doesn't know what's going on one of her friends is missing she's alone with someone she just met a few days ago in the woods things are happening they find teeth etc etc so like it's believable that she can't keep her hands steady at all Mm mm-hmm and obviously, people critique her because she's snotty and crying, <laughs> and it, it, it's not a pretty scene. But why should it be? <laughs> it's just the most captivating thing you like in the entire movie. It's the longest shot at a, probably in the entire movie. So I don't know. I just I don't know why people are so hateful. I think it's a great great scene, and I think it really rounds out the tone of the movie. Like again, I think. People who are more critical of this movie than when they came out, it, it comes down to the fact that this has been done a million times since then, uh, and that it's being viewed because of its success and not from where it came from. Like that's why I've said so many times, like this is a glorified student film. Like the filmmakers were no longer students, but they weren't, you know, powerful enough to make their own movie or get financing. They sort of just got, okay, we got some money together here. Let's film this thing really cheap. Let's, you know, get some cheap equipment. Let's train the actors to do it so we don't have to have a crew. And they pieced this thing together and it just sort of worked. Uh, you know, t- to criticize that scene, which really is an iconic scene, like view it in the context of who put this together. Like if Rossi and myself and Ben <laughs> decided to go out in the woods and film a movie. Uh, don't bring Ben. Don't bring Ben. <laughs> okay, if Rossi, myself, and Jared decided to go out in the woods and film oh, our goodness. own movie like this, uh, you know, I doubt that the quality would come out as strong as it was. Uh, it- it's just, it's, it's it's weird that this movie gets criticized because it, it does feel like they're just holding it up to a standard of modern movies because of the success of this. But let's imagine if this movie had come out and it was just sort of a cult hit that was released on video and now it's sort of gained steam over the years on TV. Like people would be still be so impressed with this. It's just don't expect this to be the sixth sense. You know, it wasn't. And if we just want to look at the success of this, like I think a lot of times it's cool to do these anniversary recaps like we do anniversary month every year 
because we could look back on like what was the reaction at the time. You know, sometimes you get these movies uh, that like a movie like True Lies that we did this year in 1994. That was the biggest movie on the planet. Like nobody had seen an action movie like that ever. And now 25 years later, people are like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And this is a perfect example of that because, like, when this comes out, it's not just a success because it was brilliantly marketed. I mean, this thing made money week after week after week. It ends up one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And this is coming out in a year where, you know, Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie in almost 20 years is coming out. The Sixth Sense comes out this year. You know, another you know good comparison of, like, a horror movie with a budget and production values. Uh, the Matrix comes out this year. And for this movie to make as much money as it did, in 1999, it wasn't just this is a cool gimmick. It actually really captured people's attention. Yeah, as you were talking, I was trying to find the move grossing, highest grossing movies of that year. I think I mentioned three and of it them. Com- <laughs> yeah, and it comes in at 10th overall. Mm-hmm. For, for a movie that should have never gotten a theatrical release in the first place. Yeah, it, it, for for what it was and how much it, you know, came in as it, it really kind of knocked, you know, showed people what you could do, and mm-hmm. I think that that's should be remembered. I think that you know, uh, perfect movie, no, but it, enjoyable movie, a movie you could watch really quickly, spooky but not to overly scary. I think this is a good horror movie for people who aren't a fan of horror. Mm-hmm. You know, I think obviously you're not one to talk about this because you don't get scared ever so um (laughs) but again i can find things creepy or eerie and i think it's the same effect it's just it's not gonna i'm not gonna lose sleep over it i'm not gonna scream in the middle of a movie but it's still effective in every way like i can appreciate a movie like this when it's effective um just going a little bit further on the whole success of this movie in 1999 you know the 90s you basically look back on it there's no such thing outside of a few movies like pulp fiction there's no such thing as a non-studio movie becoming a big hit. And now we have this happen quite frequently where these low-budget movies become these massive hits. You know, only a few years after this, My Big Fat Greek Wedding comes out, which... Why do you laugh at My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Uh, no reason. <laughs> have you seen it? I, I gotta get an opinion yes. on this now because... And, and do you enjoy it? Um, the, From my last viewing, I, I have... <laughs> fine memories of it okay well because I, I the only reason i say this because i'm from like i'm from winnipeg and nia vardalis who wrote and starred in that movie and based it on her real family growing up they're they're from winnipeg here so that's like she's like royalty oh. here in winnipeg in fact her her parents operate a restaurant here in winnipeg and like you know they literally are the exact same people like that you see <laughs> in the movie um but uh their autograph. but, but uh it's it's just a good example, even though they're completely different movies, a movie that was very low budget, probably could have played a couple of, you know, limited theaters, come out on video, maybe sold a few copies and just sort of been forgotten. And that goes on to make $250 million. And then you have movies like similar to this, like Paranormal Activity that you know, costs, I think, even less than The Blair Witch Project and also made like $100 million. And it's... It's not like it's still an everyday thing, but prior to the Blair Witch Project, nobody was really ever willing to take a chance and say, let's take this low-budget gimmick thing and see if an audience is willing to pay for it. Agreed. Agreed. I don't really have a rebuttal, so. <laughs> Before we um, 
because uh, I don't. We've, we've essentially covered most of the movie here. I just want to quickly talk about um, uh, a couple of like the early stuff that's really funny because. In any type of horror movie, thriller, you need to have a slow build for it to be effective because you got to build suspense. And they're not going to do the creepy stuff right away. So, like, the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie could have just been incredibly boring, but it's actually some of the best of the movie because they keep it really fast-paced, and it's a lot of the documentary stuff they're doing. Um, and, like, the interviewing of the, lo- the locals, it's kind of a fun story behind that, too, is that they use some locals in that. They use some actors but the actors, like the, the, the Heather, Josh, and Mike, who are filming this, they didn't know who was who. So they weren't sure if they were going to be presented with a person who was an actor who actually had a monologue saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is what I knew about the Blair Witch or whatever. Or they were going to get some local. They said, yeah, they're going to come in up and they're going to ask you about this Blair Witch thing. Just answer whatever you feel like answering. So they get some genuine responses from people, but they didn't know. And it makes it interesting later on in the movie when um, uh, I think Heather says something about uh, some lady where she says, don't you remember what that lady was telling us about this? I wasn't really paying attention to her because I, she was a lunatic. But you actually think it's like, it may, it may very well be possible that like the directors, especially the way they film this movie, that they would tell the actors, you're not going to know much about this story or what the Blair Witch is or anything like that. So film these people were presenting you and then they sort of have to, come up with those scenes later on and say, oh, I don't really fully remember that. Like, it's just cool little tricks like that that I find interesting they made an effective movie out of. Yeah, I was kind of shocked at how quick the opening was. Like, those uh, interviews that they did, and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, before I know it, they're, like, in their motel room ready to go for the next day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that went quick. And, And they always liked that they cut back from color, black and white, color, black and white, and it was just super quick and I think that the cast of people that they had for that was really interesting to watch as well because you had that the woman he's like she, I thought she was a lunatic so I didn't pay attention yeah. then you've got like the the man she's interviewing and he's like I don't believe in that supernatural stuff and she's like are you religious and he's like yes <laughs> and, <laughs> and just like the change of people yeah and of course the one that was my opening line the mother who's going on and on and then her baby which was obviously a real situation where she just, you know, this this local person, they probably turned a camera on and said, this is what you're going to say. And the kid starts freaking out. It's like, mommy's just telling a scary story, but it's not true. And then turns the camera, it is true. Uh, and then th- I think it, it might be the same guy you said where it's like, oh, I don't believe you any of that stuff. And they're saying, oh, wait, first of all, can I get your permission to be on camera? And he's like, what? What? Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> all those little things are, are kind of fun. And even when they get in the woods, you know, just showing like the the... the playfulness they have where mike's changing his shirt and heather's got the camera zoomed in i was like you ever notice like the sporadic hair pattern on mike's chest and they're just zooming blank harry blank harry blank harry yeah it's very weird that they all they kind of always kind of jump back to some random like weird thing that they like doesn't like not related to the story at all they're just like have you ever noticed or this happened it's just like it's fun i think it's like a fun quick out of moment uh out of attention moment that's cool for the movie yeah because i think that most of these movies nowadays it's always people who go into it expecting what they're gonna find you know uh like you ever ever seen the movie chronicle no chronicle um michael b jordan who plays like the uh, the villain in black panther and you know creed in the the rocky spinoffs creed movies you know he sort of started that it was about these three friends who 
one night encounter something buried in the ground that's like some alien thing and they suddenly get superpowers and it's a found footage movie of them just filming what they would do with their superpowers uh that's one where i can think of where it's similar to this where they're just filming it's like hey this is cool or whatever but when you get a movie like paranormal activity if you've ever seen that from the very start of the movie they're like something terribly wrong is going on here and we're gonna catch it and the same thing with the new blair which we're on a mission here these fun little scenes they have in the beginning it actually shows you how these characters aren't taking it seriously heather's making a documentary and i even love the way that she's super rehearsed when she's doing a narration on camera she's almost got like a fake accent going on and then when they stop rolling she's like oh how was that oh, okay that was okay um but then when they get these playful scenes like you know, the the mike chest hair and uh the, the the dead mouse is like what killed it witchcraft you just see that they're doing this just as a project and none of them believe in any of this so once weird things start happening they're not immediately jumping and saying it's the Blair Witch they're like uh must be somebody out there in the woods or maybe it was a deer and they're like it can't be a deer it's not until like the very end of the movie when even when the rocks start coming and these things are connected to the Blair Witch they're still believing oh this is just somebody playing a prank on us and I think that's what separates this from some of these other found footage movies where the characters take it so seriously that you you don't really buy it as a real situation here you have a movie where the actors, the, the character, the actors playing the characters of themselves. It's weird to call them actors or characters in this, but the three leads don't believe what's going on is anything out of the ordinary. So when they have this terror and they have this fear of what's happening around them, it's just a genuine fear. It's not, it's the witch. You know, it's something's out there. I don't know what it is. and I'm scared. Yeah, I feel like when the rocks like come around the tent, mm-hmm. like the three stacks of rocks that they fine i feel like that's the first time where they start taking it really seriously yeah. like because she's like what what do you think we magically put our tent in the perfect spot around three rock piles yeah. and didn't notice <laughs> like stuff like that like finally and then they start really clicking in and eventually when they start running from who knows what they just start running and stuff like that i think that's kind of the point where the movie really picks up mm. which i think is a credit to it. the movie it really does a good job of like no threat level mm-hmm. for like a good portion of it and then all of a sudden okay maybe it's real and then all of a sudden it picks up right toward the end the last 30 minutes like we were saying earlier so mm-hmm. the pacing is really great of the movie as well it is is that all we have to say on our movie or do you have more scenes that you wanted to touch uh, up? i'm just looking through my notes here i think that's pretty much it um so much screaming so much yeah. yelling <laughs> Which I forgot. I didn't realize there was that much screaming. Mm-hmm. And mostly, if you, I, feel like, I feel like if you did a dialogue breakdown of this movie, like 50% of it's maybe just saying someone else's name. Yeah, exactly. Josh, Mike! <laughs> that or like, we're lost. Like that's 60% <laughs> of the movie right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have to rate this movie. So what are you going to do, buy, rent, bin, or leave behind for someone else to find? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I don't want people to think like this. I'm saying this is the greatest horror movie ever made. But I think, again, for what it is, for how small of a movie this was, how effective it is even for this genre when there's now there's found footage movies that are shot on millions of dollars of a budget – you know, I still think this is probably one of the most effective ones. I think as far as horror films goes, 
I would say it's the best, you know, found footage horror movie. I think the only found footage movie that really holds a candle to it is Chronicle. You know, Cloverfield was pretty good, but I still don't really hold it this level. Yeah, I, I, I would buy it just because I think for the genre and for what this is, it's about as good as you can get. Can you believe it? We agree. agree. What? <laughs> after Halloween Town? <laughs> yeah, after Halloween Town and Hocus Pocus, we agree on a Halloween movie. <laughs> um, next next year, we'll watch The Craft so we can disagree. Ugh. I'm already putting it up from <laughs> dusk till dawn next year. I mentioned that last week. I'm putting it up from dusk till dawn. couple reasons. Uh, one, it's one of my favorite movies ever made. Two... It is a movie about two bank robbers that kidnap a family, and then halfway through it, it literally becomes a vampire movie without any warning whatsoever. Three, it's written by Quentin Tarantino. Four, it's directed by Robert Rodriguez, who would go on to do Spy Kids and uh, the, the Faculty and Sin City and so many other things. And most importantly, it is the big screen debut, proper big screen debut of George Clooney, who's now one of the biggest movie stars ever. How can we not do From Dust Till Dawn? Uh, it would be so stupid if we didn't. I will agree to the craft if we guarantee we're doing from Dustle Dawn next year. Uh, you all have no complaints from Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> she still watched, like, I don't know what it is. The craft makes me nauseous. Like, it's not like there's anything in the movie that makes me nauseous. Just something about how bad the movie is where I actually feel ill watching it. Like, this should not exist. Um, but we got two teases there for you for next year. So who knows what the other two will be made up of but at least one good thing coming next year and then the craft well we still have two other options beyond that too because it's a, a movie month so mm. um what else do we have going on in the works uh, i'm asking as i will let you do it <laughs> also i don't entirely know everything that's going on so um well star wars recaps we just finished the prequels revenge of the sith so uh listen to that <laughs> only 20 hours worth yeah. but um, we are going to have two weeks of only three-hour episodes as we're heading into Solo and Rogue One. Uh, and then we're going to get into the original trilogy. And then uh, we've actually just recorded, started recording The Force Awakens. So uh, Star Wars is going to go all the way to the end of the year. Terminator has just wrapped. Uh, probably by next weekend, maybe sometime the following week, we'll have a review of the new Terminator movie, Dark Fate. Uh, Leslie Nice recap for Survivor... Um, Island of the Idols is out there for an episode where, sadly, uh, the only contestant I was really invested in went home. Um, and <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess our next project, we're going to be putting random recaps on hold for a bit for a couple reasons. No! One, we won't reveal what it is yet, but we're basically going to be starting a new show from the beginning so like there is um and it's a show i've never seen and i don't know how much i'll be on it but we know rossi and jared for sure are going to be on quite a bit but like there's the lost recaps the third watch the nip tucks episode one all the way to episode whatever that'll be starting maybe later in the year or you know uh in the new year something like that um so that'll sort of take up a lot of our time but before we get there we've got amazing race australia starting in I don't know, minutes from the time this episode goes up. <laughs> so uh, we'll have yeah, lots. I think it's anywhere between a minute and a day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for watching The Amazing Race Australia and then us recapping The Amazing Race Australia, um, which I'm sure is going to be as exciting, if not more exciting, than Amazing Race Canada. 
who who was on the last season of Canada? <laughs> uh, David Arena. Um... Oh yeah, definitely better, but not as not as good as uh, Lauren and Joanne. So yeah, yeah, that's it. It is. So uh, I am Rossi, and I'm staring at the corner. My name is Colin, and I'm the one standing in the corner. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.